In a cozy office on Simcoe Street that feels very much like home, we met with Venture Candidate 2019, David Milesevic. He spoke about the importance of setting clear priorities and having a defined vision. David, thank you so much for having us in on a Sunday afternoon. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. I'd like to talk to you a little bit about your candidacy for the 2019 Venture election. One of the aspects of your platform that I noticed is the emphasis on pro bono. So can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with that program, what that's meant to you? I became involved with pro bono in 2007, so it's been about 12 years now. And uh, I started there and I have been there during that time every Thursday morning for 12 years. So it's been quite a commitment. As part of that, we've done a lot of work for pro bono. I myself have seen thousands of clients there at this point and gotten a good sense of the kind of problems that self-represented litigants are bringing into the system. And we've taken those cases to the Court of Appeal uh, this year to the Supreme Court of Canada. My partner and I were very familiar with the issues there and the importance of that program. And as we talk, I'll tell you a little bit more about why that's so important. For sure. And if elected, how do you envision the Law Society assisting with ensuring stable funding for pro bono? Well, Karima, as a first issue, the Law Society needs to recognize that our involvement as a regulatory body in pro bono services is an important issue. As it stands right now, the Law Society does not see that it has a particularly significant role with Pro Bono Ontario. And when I say a particularly significant role, that comes down to a funding commitment of some sort. So the first order of business is bringing the awareness of the importance of Pro Bono Ontario and other similar pro bono services to the awareness uh, of convocation and hopefully being able to galvanize the benchers into taking more concrete steps to protect this service for the future. And in terms of securing that funding, is a levy something that that you would be looking to institute, or do you think that can be achieved in different ways? Uh, There are many ways, and we need to explore the issue. A levy has been used in Alberta and Saskatchewan and British Columbia. The levy in those provinces varies, I think, from a low of about $12 per member to a high of about $42 per member. And the degree of funding and services obviously vary based on that. That has been one model. It has worked. I think there are issues that are raised by a levy. In fact, some of those issues really came to my awareness first through uh, statements you had made about that. That levy does need to take into account new calls, lawyers who are working with disadvantaged communities who may not be able to sustain even more on top of an already very large due that we have to the regulatory body. So I think there are ways around it. I think maybe potentially an opt-in on the uh, annual filing where someone can opt into a levy or alternatively being given credits for pro bono for CPD hours through the levy. There are ways to address concerns about just yet another cost to practice. I think it's generally accepted that the Law Society has, as its purpose and mandate, ensuring access to justice for the public. And you've talked about some of the issues you see with self-represented litigants. Can we elaborate on that a bit? Ensuring uh, access to justice is in the law society's mandate. 
There's been some debate about what that means, but it is there. One of the things with this election, if I may speak more broadly for a second, and then I'll give you some examples of issues I've dealt with self-represented litigants, but a little bit more broadly, this issue of pro bono takes into account a uh, potential cultural shift in how we see our regulator. The uh, statement of uh, principles issue, similarly. So we're looking at, do we want this regulator to be thin on regulation, low cost, focused really on disciplinary issues? Or do we want the regulator to embody the values of the profession and help develop the profession in a more socially engaged direction? And so pro bono, statement of issues, things like this are giving us a sense of what really we want for a complexion of this regulator. And that's obviously a debate that can touch a lot of hot buttons for people. I think we've seen that in the discourse on social media, Uh, lots of heated and lively conversations about the direction really that, that we should be heading as a profession. So I was looking recently, there's a Human Resources Professionals Association, and they had taken a Gallup poll of public opinions of various professions in Canada and the U.S. Lawyers in Canada, we ranked uh, near the bottom. We are just above car salespeople and business executives. And um. lawyers know this. This isn't news to us. I think no one enjoys a good lawyer joke more than a lawyer. (laughs) But at the same time, we also know that we fulfill a crucial social role. We are the intermediary between the public and access to justice. It's us. If it's not us, they're alone. And recognizing that crucial role, having a dialogue about what we want that role to look like is crucial. Now, if we decide as a profession at the end of the day, we want a minimal role, that's fine. That's fair. But having the conversation, I feel, is crucial. And I would hope that as a result of this election, we really have that conversation. How do we change that public perception? Because you're right, it is a longstanding joke that lawyers are sort of bottom of the barrel. And at the same time, I know full well that there are many in our profession who dedicate their lives to helping people and who are fundamentally very, very good people. So, so how do we reconcile that? I think the first step in that, it's a broader shift in the perception of the profession, but the first step there is to have our regulator embody our values. And the big question in this election is going to be, what is that regulator going to look like? What does that regulator see its mandate as? And if there is a shift in the composition of benchers, if there is a generational shift in that composition of benchers, I think that the uh, younger generation in the profession is ready to embrace a more active role for the regulator. Now, I don't say necessarily what that role should look like in total. I think that's a conversation to be had in the profession. But I definitely believe that the conversation itself is crucial. We must decide. We can't let inertia determine what our regulator looks like. It has to be choice. And the changing face of the profession that's happening on a number of different fronts, who our members are, how we interact with the public, how we interact with technology, where do you see us heading in the next 5 to 10 to 20 years? Well, uh, we're either going to lead change or we're going to be dragged into change. 
if it's not this election, the next one will. The culture around us, we can all see that. We're going through a time of great change. We're going through a time of recognizing voices that we haven't recognized in the past. No one's quite sure how to accommodate new voices versus old ways. And there's a tension there. And people, for example, who are not pleased by the statement of principles, I understand those complaints. Those are legitimate issues. The other side of the debate is if we don't mark a position on those debates, are we really going to advance those causes? So it's a debate on both sides. My view is that we are going to take the lead as a profession. I think most of our members are very socially engaged. As you said, they do a lot of uh, great work on behalf of the public that's unsung. And I think people want to know that they're participating in a profession that matters, that what they're doing changes people's lives for the better, and that the regulator supports them doing so. So in terms of pressing concerns and risks for the profession, do you have any concerns that are top of mind? Well, um, my top of mind concerns are actually the uh, budget of uh, the law society. There are some indications that our budget could be more uh, streamlined, more efficient, more effective. The debate about how to use that budget is uh, obviously going to implicate this debate about which direction we want the regulator to go in. Those two are intimately connected. But I am concerned that we may not be as focused with the budget because we're not as focused on our mission. So those two issues uh, together uh, need to be determined so that the uh, Law Society can move forward more efficiently and effectively for the profession. I've heard the term mission creep thrown around a little bit. What are your thoughts on that? That's always the problem with bureaucracies, regulators, There's always a problem of an expanding mandate. Everyone has a pet project, and before you know it, the uh, weeds have grown very thick. What I think, going back to the same theme, what I think prevents a mission creep is by having a clearly defined mission. And the creep happens because here, there's no clear definition right now. So there's a portion of the profession and the convocation pulling in one direction, a portion pulling in another, and we have... uh, the weeds growing without a a clear path. And so first of all, it's going to be the necessity for a clear conversation, a clear path, a clear direction, and then resources marshaled to support that direction. So can you tell me a bit about your own trajectory into law and the practice that that you're currently running? A long story. Let's uh, make it brief. I went to law school after uh, studying a lot of history and philosophy. I articled at one of the big Bay Street firms. I was a tax guy. I liked the intellectual challenge of tax. And for me, it was tax or nothing. I wasn't called back in tax. And so I took some time off. I traveled. uh, I was all around the world. And I decided to come back to Toronto and do legal aid work, try to help the public with legal aid. Uh, I couldn't get a legal aid file for the life of me. But I did land some uh, very large commercial corporate securities litigation work early on. Was fortunate with those cases and had some good clients. And from those ended up uh, establishing the foundations for my office and have been in private practice now for 13 years. 
And when we're talking about streamlining the LSO budget, do you see any fat to trim off the jump? That's sort of a tough question. So, Well, it's not that it's necessarily tough. For me, some parts of that question are extraordinarily easy. I've looked through some of those items, and to me, they're quite easy. But it's not a decision for me alone. And a lot of those items are, again, going back to our theme, they're highly controversial and they're based on choices that have been made that maybe are not entirely in line with where we want the regulator to go. So again, we have to have that fundamental conversation about where do we want the regulator to go and then how do we fund that? So for me, there are many items that aren't in line, but that's going to have to be a conversation that the... uh, law society has and makes decisions about. And on the one hand, we have the desire to reduce fees and make it easy for people to practice. On the flip side, there's a lot of calls for additional supports for recent calls, um, lawyers in certain areas of practice. It seems that we're on opposite, two opposite goals, fundamentally. And there have been a lot of conversations about governance and the size of convocation And at the same time, our membership base keeps growing. So how do we adequately ensure that that convocation is voicing or addressing the needs of the profession? Well, I heard you frame that question as an economic question initially. How do we address these concerns? There's support needed for younger lawyers. There is support for needs of the profession. And how do we address these issues given limited finances? Fortunately, there is uh, somewhat of a virtuous circle that's possible when it comes to making these decisions. For example, most of the regulatory enforcement side of the law society's mandate, the people who are the subjects of enforcement, tend to be younger lawyers, lawyers in sole practice, lawyers without as much of an institutional or network support reaching out to these lawyers, identifying who they are, being proactive with these lawyers, assisting them, it will actually, at the end of the day, reduce costs. The hearing costs are extraordinary. You saw what has happened with a few high-profile decisions about what those costs are like. Preventing those hearings in the first place is going to do wonders for the regulator. It's going to do wonders for those lawyers who personally would go through this major trauma to their careers, in most cases unintended. So that's one way to reduce those costs and achieve that effect. And if I might put in a plug for pro bono, the same virtuous circle of funding is available. Uh, There's been a study on pro bono that for every dollar invested in, $10 are saved to the court system in terms of costs and delay. So it's like a lot of our political dialogue, we have the same dialogue in the profession, which is if we are able to take a long-term view and if we have a plan, we can actually reduce costs instead of dealing with issues on an ad hoc basis as they come up and we think that we're saving money because we're not investing anything up front, but we're actually just costing ourselves more in the long-term. It's really just the adage of an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. That's it, exactly. Going back to the issue of self-represented litigants, Why is that a strain on the system? Well, it's a strain on the system for a variety of reasons. So self-represented litigants at root don't understand this system. It's a highly complex system. You bring a motion 
I work in the civil world, so I work with the rules of civil procedure. And you bring a motion that you think makes sense under the rules. You lose. Costs are awarded against you. The motion never should have brought, been brought in the first place. A viable claim that you have to assert your rights is now gone because you can't afford to pay the cost award. Then you're appealing that. The appeal probably doesn't have any merit because appealing a decision uh, based on the cost award or whatnot is unlikely to succeed. So you have a person who is both trapped in the system because they don't know how to work it as a result of making mistakes, potentially meritorious claims for these people are not heard and the effects on their lives can be devastating. So you have people who just don't know what they're doing uh, using a complex system and increasing the costs of the entire system uh, and increasing the negative effects for themselves. And who are the clients that come through pro bono? Obviously not in a specific naming sort of way, but, but what types of individuals pass through the doors? Almost anything you can imagine. So um, as I said, I've seen thousands of clients there now over the years. The actual Law Help Center see about 15,000 clients a year. Uh, Law Help overall serves uh, just under 29,000 clients a year. So it runs the gamut. It's the public of Ontario. You have uh, many people who are being sued. Often they're being sued for what you can imagine, credit card defaults, mortgage defaults, various types of financial litigation. You have people who are suing uh, between themselves, two individuals, housing issues, fraud claims. It it runs the gamut. But what uh, most of these individuals share in common is they share in common the same attitude I had when I started law school. I didn't know what a rule of civil procedure was. And so they're there, they're confused, they're overwhelmed, and they need someone to guide them. And surprisingly, with just a little bit of guidance, uh, we're there, they can drop in when something happens in their case, suddenly their stress goes down, they're able to think about it more clearly, make decisions, we can guide them through to a successful resolution. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds of successful cases that way. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would want to convey to anybody listening? Well, I'd like to convey to all the uh, lawyers and paralegals listening in particular, to get involved in this election. Uh, It's an important election. The profession, one way or another, is changing. It's changing just as our society is changing. We play an incredibly important social role in this province. We need to take that seriously. Take a few minutes, look through the list of candidates, find people who share the values that you have for this profession, vote for them. Get benchers in place that are going to reflect your values. And I don't say what values are right or wrong. Just get in there, vote, have this profession reflect what you want it to be. And if someone is interested in learning more about your platform and campaign, how do they go about finding you? Law Times has very helpfully started putting up candidates in their positions, so that'll be up there. I'm going to be putting out more information on uh, my LinkedIn and my Twitter. The firm is Milosevic Fisk. Milosevic is a mouthful, uh, but people can uh, figure out how to spell it online. If they Google me, they'll, they'll find me. If you're genuinely interested in the election, you'll see me. See if you support pro bono the way that I do. And if you do, please give me a vote. And please vote for any other candidate who supports this uh, crucial issue. We almost lost those centers this year. And we don't want that to happen because it's in our power to prevent that. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure talking to you. And again, I'm grateful that you 
took time out of your day to speak. Well, thank you for having me. The Bencher election 2019 for the Law Society of Ontario takes place from April 15th to 30th. If you're out of Ontario, why not look at what's happening in your region? If you know someone who's practicing, see what they're up to. Encourage them to vote. Check me out on Twitter at Karima Rules. 